Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. Hey, um, hasn't it been a real cool morning? Yeah? Um, I was talking about, you know, when I was in the pool, I was talking about the theme of what's going on here. Um, baptism is that beautiful theme of new life. Um, and, and someone committing and saying, you know what, I'm giving my all to Jesus. I'm giving my all to Jesus because I know who this Jesus is. And, and so we had that beautiful moment of baptism and, and communion when we're reminded about the life of Christ. And that he had to come and he had to dwell amongst us and he had to be with us in order to understand us and in order to endure death so that we might have life. And, and so we had this beautiful moment where we remember Christ in that moment. And, um, and then we, and we sing worship songs and we, we are reminded of Jesus. He's the miracle worker and, and the things that he can do and has done in our lives. And, and now we come into this place in the book of Hebrews, where the writer wants to remind us of who Jesus is. He wants to remind us of who Jesus is. About this time last year, a guy sort of in his mid to late 40s came to church. Three times he came. Um, He came, he sat out in the back there first. Um, and just sat there and, and uh, had an interesting look on his face through the services. He didn't come because he wanted to uh, find out about Jesus. He didn't come because he was searching for a relationship with Jesus. So after he'd been here for three Sundays, he made an appointment with me. Um, and I thought he wanted to talk about becoming part of the church. No, he ambushed me. And he wanted to convince me that Jesus was not real. That actually he never existed. And during that conversation, which had some really interesting moments in it, he decided to ask me the question, what would you do if I came on Sunday and I stood up in church and I told everybody, Jesus isn't real? I said, I'll take you out, mate. (laughs) So he wrote a letter to the Baptist Union complaining that I was bullying him and threatening him. (laughs) That's okay. If he stood up and did that, I would certainly take him out. Because Jesus is real. But maybe you've had that same thought. You know, maybe you've been brought up in a Christian home and, and, and you've done the church thing and, and, and that's been okay, but you're at the point in your life where you're going, I don't know, is this Jesus guy? Is he real? You know, was he God? Maybe that's a question you're asking. You know, there's lots of... Um, evidence, secular historians and and biblical evidence. Um, There's so much evidence that supports the existence of Jesus that actually Jesus did exist, that he was a person, that he did live amongst us. The question that some people ask is, was he really God? Was he really God? You know, it's the existence of Jesus And the belief that he was God that makes Christianity just something so special, right? We are different to every other religion because we have this belief that it is the Son of God 
who came down and dwelt amongst us, or the Bible would say tabernacled with us, and, be, and we know him as Jesus, that he actually lived. That he was crucified, he was buried, and that he rose again. And that's what sets us apart from every other religion. Our God is alive. He's alive. You know, in fact, Jesus continually made the claim that he was God through Scripture. There's this really interesting conversation that Jesus has with Thomas and with Philip in John 14. um, Thomas is asked the question and Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, Thomas, if you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. To which Philip said, Oh, Lord, show us the Father then, and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Philip, I've been with you this whole time, and you still don't know who I am. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? We're also reminded, I don't know if you've been reading the book of Hebrews to kind of keep up with where we're going, but if you've read Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, you would have, would have um, as you've read that, you would have noticed that Jesus Christ is proclaimed as the Son of God. He's the promised son of David. He comes from the family line of David. He's sovereign and angels worship him. He is the Messiah, the creator, the eternal king who rules over all the world and his enemies. Let me remind you this morning, Jesus is the anchor of our soul. And we had better not lose our moorings. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through to 18 come with a warning. The warning is not to drift away from this faith that we have in Christ. We live in a world full of distraction. Full of distraction. You probably don't realize that some of you might even be checking your phone now for a text or an update. Or you're... Onto your watch where maybe it's on there. I heard a phone ring a little while ago. We live in a distracted world. We are being distracted so much that we're losing sight of who we are in Christ. We are so distracted. But we must keep our focus on Jesus. I, I like to illustrate this by saying, you know, like, When our boys were young, we always had meals together around the table. Breakfast, dinner, every day. And we wanted to do that. Sarah and I wanted to do that because in that moment, we could remind the boys as they were growing up what it meant to be a groom, what our family stood for, what we believed and who we are, how we are to interact with each other. We often talk to to the boys about how they were to love one another, that they were to be best friends, how they were to treat their mum 
and speak to her, how they were supposed to speak to me. It was a grounding lesson every day and a reminder of who we were as the Grew family. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's wanting to remind the believers of who Jesus is. Jesus' humanity and that Jesus is the author of salvation. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to dance through these passages and be reminded of who Jesus is. Jesus rules the world. He rules the world. Verse 5. And furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. Everything, understand this, everything is subject to the sovereign rule of Christ. Nothing, not even angels are outside of his control. In fact, angels are servants. You could almost, the word means to minister. They serve those who believe in Christ. If you were to Look up angels and do a little bit of search in Google. You might find some ways in which angels actually minister to believers. One of them is is that they answer prayer. If you remember Acts 12 and Peter's in prison, there's some guards guarding him. And an angel appears because the church has been praying. And an angel appears to Peter and wakes him up and says, let's go. And immediately the shackles drop off his arms and the angel leads him out of prison and answer to prayer. Another way that angels can minister to us is by encouraging us. If you read the story of Jesus in the desert for 40 days, you'll see how angels ministered to him or in the Garden of Gethsemane. Another way that angels minister to us is that they can protect us. Psalm 91.11, an army of angels surrounded Elisha and protected him from an advancing army. Angels are sent to serve and to minister those who believe in Christ. This world to come, and furthermore, it's not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. This world to come refers to a coming age when Jesus will return and establish his rule. He will reign, and his enemies will be brought to submission. Amen? Jesus is Lord. Where's Ben? Jesus is Lord. That's right. Christ rules the world. Hebrews 2, 6-9 goes on to say this, For in one place the scriptures say, and this is quoting a psalm, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while you were made a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. What we do see is Jesus who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Friends, we were appointed in the creation story to rule over creation. How's that going for us? How are we doing? It doesn't take a lot, does it, to look around and to begin to realize that we're not capable of ruling creation, let alone sometimes even ruling our own lives. I I remember, and um, John and Sandra were in Christchurch, but I remember being down there in February uh, when the earthquakes, um, there were two big earthquakes half an hour apart. Uh, When I was in the airport, they were massive. I could hear them coming. 
like a freight train coming. And then whack, and everything's rocking and moving. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing I could do to stop them. I was at the mercy of whatever happened next. You understand what I'm saying. And yet we find in Matthew 8 a story about Jesus. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves that were breaking over the bow of the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples weren't, however, and they went and they woke him up shouting, Lord, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have such little faith. Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is he? Creation is subject to Christ. It's in subjection to him. I want to just... Can we just stop here for a second? Because recently, when we're just talking about the world here, we talk about the floods in Libya, Brazil, Greece, the earthquake in Morocco. Can we just stop and pray for a minute? Okay, let's pray. Lord, have mercy on those who have been affected by the floods in Libya and Brazil and Greece. And the earthquake in Morocco, Lord, have mercy on them, on the survivors, on the families that are grieving, the loss of loved ones. Lord, have mercy on these cities and on these countries and on the devastation that has happened. Father, we pray for fast, quick resolution um, to getting people housed, to getting food available and to getting things back into a space of normality. Lord, have mercy on the leaders of those countries and those who are leading the rescue efforts. Lord, have mercy. Amen. It says in this verse that Jesus, and this can be confusing, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. I want you to understand that this in no way declares that Jesus is inferior to the angels. The point the writer is making here is that Jesus had to become one of us in order to initiate salvation. He had to become lower than the angels for a while. You know, the writer of Hebrews, he refers to angels a lot. It's because in ancient Judaism, they believed that angels were placed by God to rule over the world. And so the writer is refuting that and saying, no, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than all of these. In fact, he is greater, more highly exalted than every name that can come to your mind. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. Jesus rules the world. Jesus had to taste death for everyone in verse 10. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus, and it's an interesting word, tasted death for everyone. 
God for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them to their salvation. This word taste or tasted, it means to experience something. Jesus experienced death. He had to become one of us in order to do that. And to experience death, this reminds us of the hard and painful reality of dying. I had a conversation this morning with somebody about death and talking about how they might like to die. Not wandering away on a bed over many years in pain, but just suddenly to go. You know, death sits there for each and every one of us. And we might say, oh, it's not for us, Lord. Death isn't for us. No. But one day they'll pull the sheet over you and me. They will do it. It's inevitable. But Jesus had to taste this death. To bring salvation. You know John 3.16, we know it well. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is the source of our great salvation. And if we taste in him, we may die in this life, but we don't perish. We have eternal life because Jesus paid the penalty in full and nothing will ever change that. Nothing. His blood wipes away the evidence of all sin in our lives. He's covered them with his atoning sacrifice on the cross. Hebrews 1.3 says, He made purification of sins. Friends, there is nothing that can be brought against you today. Nothing. You have been sanctified by Christ through his blood. Hebrews 10.14 By one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. We are perfected before God for all eternity. All eternity. He tasted death for us so that he could lead us to glory. Amen. Verses 11 and 13 talks about our union with Jesus. Just listen to these words. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. Did you hear it? We have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. We are the ones, Fano, that God is bringing to glory. We're the ones God's bringing to glory. That should warm your heart. The death of Jesus has set us apart from the world. And set us apart to God. We belong to Him. Hebrews 10.10 By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We now have an intimate fellowship with Jesus. Listen to the intimacy in these words. Hebrews 2.13 I and the children whom God has given me. Do you feel the tender heart of God? He calls you children. 
You're a parent. You know how to love your children and how to tenderly care for them. Jesus calls us his children. He cares for us. It's a tender intimacy of love that he has for us. We are his spiritual children. In verses 14 and 18, Jesus destroyed the sting of death. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of death. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. That's you and me. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are tested. In order to free us from the consequence of sin, he had to become one of us. He was born, when you think about this, he was born into a, a, a race that was under the heel of Rome. He wasn't born in a palace, he was born into a stable. If you had seen him as a little boy, you might have seen him running the streets of Bethlehem, kicking a ball with the other boys, with a dirty, ruddy face, and you may not have even recognized him. He was born into poverty, yet he was the God-man, fully God and fully man. And Jesus broke the power of Satan by his death and his resurrection. Satan no longer has any power to enslave you and me. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Hebrews 2.14, through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. His death bore the death penalty and the price was paid in full for each and every one of us who call upon his name and call him Lord and Savior. We have been justified by faith in Christ's family. And then lastly this morning, Christ comes to our aid as the high priest. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. The high priest is the one who makes the sacrifice for the sins of the people. You'll read that all through the Old Testament. And Jesus became that high priest. He made that sacrifice as only a high priest could make so that our sins could be atoned. And it was necessary for him to do that. He had to die on the cross in order to satisfy the law and justify lost sinners. 
He suffered the wrath of God on the cross for the sins of the world to fully meet the just demands of God's law. And so here we are today, reminded of who Christ is, the author of salvation, reminded of his humanity. We must not get distracted people from who Jesus is. We must hold on to our faith in Christ and keep our moorings anchored to Christ. The wrath of God has been turned away from you. Satan has been rendered powerless in your life. And you stand righteous before God the Father in Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. Death has lost its power over you. Now is the perfect time to trust in Him. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.